letting go of busyness was, as a practice, uh, was something I first heard from a group of Dharma teachers when I was in the teacher training through Spirit Rock. Um, we, uh, as trainees, I was part of a, a small group um, that for four years went through a really intensive mentorship. And I won't name who, but a number, there was a session uh, uh, during that time where teachers came uh, to talk to us about overscheduling and busyness and what a, an easy um, trap that was as a Dharma teacher. You're getting the inside scoop right now. <laughs> and what a detriment that can be. Um, not just to your teaching, but also just to your practice. And so it was the first time I'd heard of um, paying attention to this busyness um, as an actual practice. And so I'm telling it in this way to let you know that this this uh, trapping of busyness um, is something that catches all of us, even those who have been practicing for a really long time. It's hard uh, to avoid often. And I'm not exactly sure what that is. I think it's easy enough to point to just um, the pace of things these days. I think also there can be a real culture of um, valuing busyness. You can as part of the practice, start to notice uh, when someone says, oh, how have you been? And your response is, oh, I've been so busy. What is? What are you saying there? What is the information you're giving there? Is it, I'm busy because I'm really important or I do very important work? Because there can sometimes be that uh, that messaging that's in there, that, that sense of, of, ooh, self, that pops in with this word busyness and this identity with busyness. Uh, sometimes we use it as just an excuse. I'm busy. And that can wipe out uh, responsibility <laughs> towards other things that maybe um, if we're looking really closely, we can start to see what are we, what are we prioritizing in that busyness? What are we being busy with? And then what gets left out? I, when I started really looking at that, I started to relate it to my practice. How many of you have, and this isn't a guilt thing, you can be honest, how many of you have a daily practice, meditation practice that you really stick to? Okay. So a few of you. Great. Um, I find that probably the biggest deterrent to having a daily meditation practice is busyness. I'm just too busy. When I talk to people who come up saying, I really want to start a practice, I just can't stick with it. Well, why? I'm just so busy. It's probably the number one response, and I get it. No, we are. We've got a lot that we're a lot of us are juggling many, many different things. We have people we are caring for. Uh, we have a job or multiple jobs. Maybe you're a student. Um, you've got your social life and you've got um, maybe your dog that you have to go home and walk. And, um, and then you've got to do the grocery shopping and the laundry and the dishes. And we're busy. There's a lot going on. But we have to be careful with that. So we're looking first at our relationship with the word busy and how we relate it to ourselves and what it does for us when we relate to it in these ways. Um, how does it become a, a block, actually, to our practice, to cultivating well-being, cultivating more realization and understanding? Are we too busy for those things? Our happiness, uh, our uh, spiritual life, 
um, waking up, if you are on this path to wake up, we value those things. When we really get down to it, these are the things that we, these are some of the things that we really deeply value. And yet somehow it, we get caught by all these other have-to-dos and expectations and responsibilities um, and distractions, lots of distractions. And we can easily lose track of what we really value and want in our life and end up valuing things that are actually taking us away from those core values. And you probably have other core values that I'm not naming, but even still, like maybe it's your loved ones and your your family. It could be multiple things. But notice, where does busy come in? There. Now, I'm not saying um, that to be hardworking and to have a schedule and that, that these are bad things. I'm not saying that at all. Um, that for some of us, uh, what, what maybe I'm calling busy, you might be thinking, well, I have to support my family. I, I have to pay my bills. I'm busy because I'm working uh, really hard or multiple jobs or, you know, I, I really need to hustle here. And is that what you're talking about? It's not, it's not so much that our schedule is full. Uh, we, we might come, we'll kind of come around to that, but right now it's more of looking at a relationship with it. Is there some way to have that, that full schedule, but still remain in the practice? Is there some way to balance our, our, our life in a way where we can still bring in that priority of uh, our wellness in our mind and our body and our hearts? Is there some way to um, bring that into the fold of what we're doing? Ultimately, the answer is yes. But there's definitely a way to do that. But we have to be looking for it. We have to be conscious that we ha- that we are needing to intentionally bring that in. So how we relate to this um, word, though, is even more important. Uh, if we're just throwing out the "I'm busy" and not being conscious to how we're using it, um, right there is a trap, <laughs> and it's a trap that doesn't lead to happiness. That that identification. Um, it's not going to lead to happiness. There are studies, because I looked, I was looking at what the important, is there importance to busyness? And there are actually a number of studies that claim that people who are busy are happier people. So language is really important here too. That busyness equals, um, uh, ingenuity. It means, um, uh, learning a lot of new things, that busyness connects you to the things that you're doing and um, you feel useful, and so there's a happiness that comes through there. And I think that's true to some degree. I do think there's truth in that to some degree. But we're talking about cultivating along this path. And to do that, we need to start to recognize when that busyness is actually a distraction, when it's an identification that puffs up our our sense of importance and ego, and then, of course, through that, a sense of separation between us and whoever's on the other end of that, when it becomes just uh, an excuse to not be connected with our core values.
Thich Nhat Hanh has this really beautiful um, uh, meditation that it's actually, it's a talk that I was thinking would make a fantastic meditation. And I don't know if he's ever taught it in a meditation, but I'd like to to bring it here as a meditation of this idea of um, getting in touch with the importance of rest and settling on the spiritual path, on the spiritual path. That if our spiritual practice is just busyness and a lot of doing all the time, we're missing something. We're distracting ourselves from just being with what is actually here. Distracting ourselves from knowing ourselves. And that can work for a little while. It can even feel really productive. But it doesn't go to any kind of depth. And at some point we get caught. We get caught in some kind of mind state that doesn't let go, that we can't just distract ourselves from. Something really loud and uncomfortable. Real suffering. At some point, we have to be with ourselves. We have to be in the quiet or the stillness. Or we have to be with the intensive restlessness or the doubt We have to be with our apathy, our aversion, our greediness. This practice calls for that. In order to progress in some way, we have to be able to do that. But if we're in the habit of busyness and constantly filling in the gaps of time, uh, using up our energy, not focusing inward, always being distracted, always looking outside of ourselves for the next thing, or we're just so focused on fixing the busyness is internal, uh, working on um, how to better ourselves in such a way that we're actually just not even with ourselves. Does this sound familiar? Is this making sense? So there's a real importance in the spiritual practice, whatever the practice is, to be able to rest, to learn how to settle, to come out of the habit of busyness, to turn your attention inward and onto what's going on here. Really knowing your humanness for what it is, not for what you were hoping for or what you think it should be, but just being with the rawness of what it's like to be in any given moment. And sometimes it does feel really raw and sensitive and tender. Other times it might not be what you're expecting. That rawness is beautiful. It's spacious. It's grounded. It's still. It's concentrated, it's awake, it's knowing. But we don't know that unless we're paying attention, unless we have this ability to come out of that that habit energy of busy, busy, busy. And look what's really going on here. So let's do this this, um, Thich Nhat Hanh meditation together. You can just close your eyes. And you can stay in whatever posture you're in. I'm going to ask you to visualize. I want you to visualize some body of still water. It can be a pond, a lake, and I want you to imagine a pebble being thrown into the still water. And watch it. It's just a small pebble, so it doesn't sink like a a large stone. It does take some time, and it might float a little bit back and forth with the current. And depending on its shape, if it's kind of a flat pebble kind of teeters back and forth as it settles down, down, down. 
all the way down. So visualize that settling that happens. And see if you can feel that settling within yourself as you're watching this pebble effortlessly sinking to the bottom of this body of water. It doesn't have to try to get anywhere. Thich Nhat Hanh, keep your eyes closed and continue visualizing this. Thich Nhat Hanh says in kind of his humorous, playful way that he says he thinks that the pebble reaches the bed of the lake or the pond by the shortest path because it allows itself to fall without making any effort. So humanizing this pebble, that it's not with any kind of effort that it finds itself settling all the way to the bottom. And see if you can imagine this pebble settling all the way down, down into the body, feeling the whole body come to a place of stillness, groundedness, There's nothing to do besides this. So this ability to know how to settle, to allow the mind to come to rest, is a big part of this practice. It's a really important part of this practice. The mind and the heart are needing to rest in order to see clearly what's going on here. And in order to fully understand and to be free of all the trappings that keep us in a tangle and in uh, our patterns of of suffering or unsatisfactoriness. We need to be able to see clearly. So you can open your eyes if you'd like. You can also just stay in that place if you are enjoying it. This is a poem by... Nyosho Kenpo Rinpoche, that some of you will find familiar. You can hold it in this context of the pebble. He says, rest in natural great peace. This exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought, like the restless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace infinite ocean of samsara, samsara being this patterning that we're talking about, this uh, um, reliving these patterns, these habits of mind that keep us uh, unhappy, keep us doing the things that um, aren't leading to um, any kind of freedom in our heart and in our mind. Our minds are neurotic, you know. They're neurotic. It's it's neurotic in there. Even the most calm of you, I feel really confident <laughs> that you have a sea of neurotic thoughts that are coming at you without your control, without your bidding, and there they are. And those those thoughts, the way that um, then our body has to hold those thoughts and our emotions respond to those thoughts are 
speech and our actions are driven by those thoughts. It's exhausting. We are exhausted by our neurotic minds. It's what brings people here. We want some relief. We want to either be totally free from it or just some kind of itsy-bitsy amount of relief. The busyness is just part of the neuroses. It is part of the neurotic tendency and habit. It feeds it. It's fed by it. We feed each other. Um, by supporting, you know, this idea of valuing busyness. I, the other day I was talking to a mom at my kid's school and she asked, what did you do over the weekend? And I thought about it and I said, nothing. We didn't really do much of anything. And her response was, oh, well, that's okay. (laughs) I thought, yes, (laughs) it is okay. But it was like, like I should apologize for not being really busy and doing a bunch of stuff. And that's kind of, we're all in this together. It's kind of this mass support system for the culture of busyness. So we're up against a lot within our minds and each other's minds collectively. So noticing um, our relationship with busyness uh, what, how that, uh, how we identify with it is important. And then starting to deconstruct it a little bit and noticing, well, what is, what is it? What am I calling busyness? What are the actual activities that I'm, I'm in? How much of it is really necessary and part of my livelihood and, and, or important work that, you know, I'm doing good things in the world or this is my passion or this is what I love or, you know, this is, Part of my my role as uh, as whatever um, uh, a partner, uh, uh, a parent, uh, uh, whatever it is, you know, those those things that we that we do in life that um, you know, we don't need to stop in order to have a spiritual life. But then there's all that other stuff, the filler. All the filling of activity that is the distraction or, you know, maybe the shoulds that we're engaged in. All the shoulds. I should do this. I should do that. How many of you ever find yourself not doing anything and then catching yourself, like taking a break and relaxing, catching yourself there and feel guilty about it? Like, okay, what should I do? Okay, I'm just I'm just sitting here watching TV. I should be folding laundry <laughs> while I'm doing this. I need to be productive. Not everyone. I know this is pers- like a personality test. <laughs> but for some of us, obviously, we relate to to that, the filling of of our time, what we fill it with. This uh, practice of letting go of busyness can be a practice of renunciation. So when you go on retreat, this is what you're doing, or part of what you're doing. Um, those of you who have sat um, even a day of, of practice, there's some of this renunciation where you're not engaged in all the extra doings. Um, you don't have your list of to-dos. You just show up and you practice. You're told what to do, which in itself for some of us is a real challenge. When you're on retreat, you're not on your phone. You're not supposed to be on your phone. You're not reading or writing. You're not on your computer or any other devices. You're not talking. You're not checking in or um, talking story with your loved ones. You are practicing. You're following a tight schedule that is very minimal of walking, sitting, walking, sitting, eating, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, eating. <laughs> um, other other things happening in there, but very little. I know um, it always surprises me on retreat where there's so little to do 
And at some point, especially long retreats and at the beginning of a long retreat, I can see my mind just start to scan, to look for activity. What could I be doing? You know, oh, I could go make my bed again. Stuff like that. Just to do, just to be busy and distract myself. Even in the mind, uh, those of you who have sat retreat uh, might recognize all the conversations you get busy with, all the thinking of what you're going to say when you come out of retreat and who you're going to talk to and what you're going to do and say. And it's just that habit energy of busyness, even though everything has slowed way down through the retreat schedule. That habit energy of doing, 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 thinking, 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 figuring it out, creating your list, uh, keeps going. It's, it doesn't just stop when you enter the retreat. It doesn't stop when you come through the doors here and you sit down for your meditation of 30 to 45 minutes and there's nothing happening. You don't have to do a thing. You just come and you sit and pay attention to the body and to the breath. You might do some heart practice. You don't have to do, do, do. But isn't it incredible just to have an energy of the mind where it goes? How busy it's used to being, and so it is. So the practice of renunciation, starting to look at where is all the extra? Where is all the filler? Are there ways to decrease that or eliminate some of that? And instead, come into this this resting, this pause. Sometimes I've talked about it as just taking a pause through your day. Maybe multiple pauses. You don't have to do anything. You just, other than stop, which that in itself, just to have the ability to stop some of that momentum and get used to um, and train the mind to be able to rest. Just rest. Be here. And it's in that renunciation practice and through this practice of resting that we start to clue in to what's actually going on here, what's being known. And so this practice of of resting, it's not like nothing's happening. It's not a blank. There, There's connection. There's engagement. Um, you're connecting into what's, what's happening. Uh, in your experience, from an internal place, in the moment. You're here in the moment, as opposed to thinking about yourself five minutes from now, or uh, five hours from now. That's that's too much doing, and it's all imaginary. All you're asked to do is just be in the present moment. But that busy energy wants to take you outward. It wants to take you forward into time or back into time with memory and recall. Stop. What is it like to just be here with yourself? So I'm asking you that question. I want you to check in right now. What is it like to just be here with yourself? And close your eyes if that helps you notice. And see what's being known. What is there to know right now? Could be some kind of physical sensation, like the breath or the feeling of sitting here. And just like that pebble, you don't have to try so hard to find it. Allow your attention to settle, going the most direct route. What is here right now? What's being known? It might be a really strong sensation. It might be a really strong um, mind state or emotion being known. Even if you're feeling 
confused right now or really unsure. I don't know what's being known. Oh, confusion. Confusion being known. Or disconnected being known or numbness being known. Boredom being known. No matter what it is, we don't have to exclude anything in this practice. You don't need to be any particular way. All you're doing is being. Whatever the makeup is of you in that particular moment, because it's going to change from moment to moment. So whatever particular makeup of you in that moment is just being witnessed and known. It's this knowing that gives way to wisdom. Understanding what it's like to be human in this moment. And it's the ability to rest into that that begins to, that ends up being an aid. It becomes really important when what's being known is really difficult. When it's really challenging to stay with it. When everything in us is screaming for distraction. That we want to be busy now because we really don't want to be with whatever this is. And so part of this learning to not fall back into that habit of distraction, of busyness, but rather to rest into even the discomfort. It's within that ability, the relationship of being able to rest and be with that discomfort and knowing what's really happening, it's in those places that often the biggest unfolding of transformation of understanding comes from. The word for this discomfort um, or suffering is dukkha. We talk about this word dukkha, which is a Pali word that's translated as suffering or unsatisfactoriness. It's that rub with life. Things just aren't quite the way we want them to be. It's that discontent with what's happening in this moment. When we can stay close with that discontent, with that dukkha, it's from there. When we handle it with care, with our attention, with our willingness to know it, it's from there we birth freedom from being entangled with it. But that only happens when we can be in relationship with it. It doesn't happen by somehow catapulting our mind away from it, from distracting from it, um, transcending it. We'll always come back. You always have to come back down eventually. And it'll be right there waiting for you. The way that we free ourselves is by resting and knowing it. We can do this by using the tenderness practice we did this evening, especially when it just feels too much to be with, with just our bare attention bringing in the compassion practices, the different heart practices, finding ways to soften around the edges of that knot that might be in your stomach or in your throat as you're experiencing whatever the difficulty is. How do we soften around it and hold it 
with this tender attention the best that we can, as opposed to pushing it away or ignoring it. Is that a possibility? Through practice, it is. Through practice, we get more and more comfortable with the discomfort. We get more and more grounded and settled with the unknown and with change. And so in terms of our um, our practice and, and wanting to be free from these habits and entanglements that lead to so much unhappiness, so much disconnection from ourself, which then, of course, is disconnect with everybody, with everything. The more we can come in touch, uh, come in contact with the value we really truly have for uh, this waking up process uh, and prioritizing not the busyness or the person we think that makes us as a busy, busy person. the more we can focus inward and know our experience fully. This is where the practice really is. So I I don't know if you're feeling it, but I'm I'm feeling like this kind of dropped down a bit, <laughs> and I think that's a good thing. Uh, you guys are so quiet out there, <laughs> I know. and I'm hoping that's be- not because you're sitting here confused, but that this is somehow resonating and dropping in, and that's my sense of it. Is that right? Just to check in with you, okay. Good. Sometimes I go places like that and I think, is everyone there with me or am I here all by myself? But I think you're really there with me, so that's great. <laughs> I'm never alone. Good, good. Well, let's open it up to um, some questions and some comments. We can take a few and then we'll we'll end uh, a little early, early this evening. But I do want to make sure if there's any confusion or... Um, if you just want um, some clarification on something, we can cover that. Yes. Hi, that was really good. Um, can you hear me? I can. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, I just have, like, I'm struck by the paradox of wanting to be at rest, but having to do being at rest. Yeah. Like, almost having to schedule it as another thing in your busy schedule. Yeah. And so I wonder how how you would address that kind of paradox. Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. It's a paradox, but it's also, what <laughs> comes to mind is it's just kind of a reality. Um, it, I've, I, um part of this profession, I end up being uh, close to and know a lot of monks and nuns who have fully renounced and um, taken that path. Um, And uh, something I'm always struck by is how they'll have that same comment. (laughs) That there's so much to do (laughs) within the monastery and there's all these conversations that they have to have and it seems really busy and yet that wasn't why you know that's not what they were expecting and so there is some kind of reality to the situation so I think um, I'll say that my experience and in, in this experience is fluid that it kind of goes back and forth between this is that there are times when 
it takes effort to do the non-doing and it does have to be scheduled and it has to be, um, there's, there is some momentum that has to be created to bring that fully into life. But there's, there is a momentum that catches. And then it's not, it becomes more effortless and more integrated. I think this word integrated is really important when it comes to the practice. It's, it's helpful to come and sit and be, uh, in the posture, in the chair, on the cushion, in the community, or at home having that special place where that's where you sit and you practice. But it needs to be integrated into everything. And it can be integrated into everything. And that's when things really start to be more effortless, that you can be, you know, walking down the street to BART in a hurry (laughs) to catch your, your train and be totally there for it. And know that that's what's happening. Feeling all the, the anxiety and the emotion that's coming up. Being conscious of all the people you're, you're moving through. Uh, knowing when to cross the street and not cross the street. Uh, the feeling of relief when you finally get on your train. Thinking, wow. <laughs> that was nuts. Um, you can be there for that. And, and know that that's all happening. And the difference is, When you know this is how you're moving through the world, your choices are different. You suddenly have options on how to respond, react, how to reflect on how did that really go? (laughs) Could I have done that better in some way? But if we just go through and we're swept up into just getting through our day and to what we need to get to, or um, through whatever the activity is, then our everything becomes so narrow. Our 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 choices, our consciousness of what's happening, how it's making us feel, how we're we're rippling that out into the community and to the people we work with or live with. Um, we we just we don't see it. It's very very limiting. Um, so this continuity is key, and it's and it is possible, but it, it takes some momentum, it takes that intention, um, and that's okay. And I think it's also okay for those of you who've been doing this for a long time, that that comes in waves. That there's you know even if you it was really integrated and effortless at one point, but now you're at a point in in life where it feels like a real struggle again. I think that's really normal. And not to give up or feel bad about that or that it, you've really messed it up this time. <laughs> that it's just, it's part of the flux of, of life. It's part of the humanness. Sometimes it's just more of a struggle and an effort. But stay with it. The key is don't give up. Stay with it. But come back to the intention. Come back to the feet on the ground. Body in the chair. Go to basics. Here's my breath. Right here I am. What is being known? This is what's being known. You can, you can be right back in an instant. But you can, you gotta shift yourself into that. It can take effort. That's okay. I find that <clears throat> also glum from reading Thich Nhat Hanh, um, to stop and, and be where you are a moment. Um, probably shouldn't do it while driving 70 miles an hour. But other than that, if you take three or four minutes every hour, or every half hour if you need to, and just stop, be motionless and silent, then you can start whatever you're working on. It's also, for me, very important to consider the task before I approach the task. Uh, The skill of having the materials available, ready, takes all of the 
takes a lot of the back and forth, the toing and froing out of it. The less there is of that, the easier it is to keep a keep it right in front of you. You know, and just as a comment, uh, busyness is a way of spending your life. It's just for me. It's it's repulsive. I feel it's like you're throwing treasure in the street. Um, a little more intention, concentration. Much better. You know, something I haven't mentioned and didn't come up in the questions um, or the comments is that when we what this op- does open us up to is, you know, a depersonalization of experience. That whether it's wowing and feeling great or really crappy, it starts to be less personal. That it's just experience being known. And in that, even when it's really hard and uncomfortable, there can be a new relating to it that doesn't compound it with, I hate this, it shouldn't be happening, I'm the only one, nobody gets me, no one will get this. Um, Instead, it can be, ooh, oh, okay, this is what's happening. Wow, look at the mind go with that. Whoa, it just went in that direction. That's neurotic. <laughs> That's amazing. It it just it's not so personal. It's fascinating. Like humanness is fascinating. This show is pretty incredible. And so the fear that can come along with being with whatever arises it starts to dissipate. It doesn't have to be so fearful. The the challenging mental states don't have to be always so horrible or derailing. They can be a learning experience. They can be interesting. Um, we can start to see how they connect with also the beauty that they're part of this very dualistic experience that, you know, one moment it's happiness and the next moment it's sadness or some combination of those two and start to see these waves of experience, how they're tied together and be, be less clingy to needing one to be there and the other not being there. Life becomes freer, it's lighter. We start to uh, notice things that maybe we didn't notice before. Like, for example, I was sitting in my car before coming in, and I never noticed, now you will, when you walk out the door, there's this beautiful rock wall that's about this size um, that lines the side of the monastery here. And the rocks are all these different colors, and they look like they've been hand, you know, carved and chipped and placed really intentionally. And it's really beautiful. You'll notice it <laughs> now when you go out. And I, th- I never noticed that before. Or every now and then, and I, it's been a little while, and it might be a seasonal thing. You walk out the doors here, and there's a jasmine plant somewhere there. And you'll just be hit by this incredible smell of jasmine. If you're not present, even for the difficult stuff, uh, if you're not present, you miss all these wowing, just the amazing simpleness of life. So much of life is just being. It's just there. And we're either tuned into it or we're not. When we're tuned into it, there's so much... uh, uh, joy and uh, beauty and restfulness, even in the chaos, 
we can find ourselves tuning in to these other aspects. And it's not to paint over all the suffering. It's to say they both exist. They're both there. And they're, they're there together. They kind of support each other in some way. We know the one because we know the other. But if we're not present and able to rest in all of it, we're missing all of it. We're missing major aspects of both sides of this. I wanted to bring that in, that there's this balancing piece even within the knowing of experience. So I'll I'll end there, um, and we'll... um, Hopefully, hopefully you'll take this as a practice and something that I said, uh, you take one thing from it and apply it and see how that goes. Let it be an experiment for the next week uh, and see how it is. I'll be here next week so you can come up and tell me how it went. Um, what's that? Grade you on results? Never. No. <laughs> no, not going to do that. But I always love hearing about it, even the struggles sometimes. I get excited more about the struggle <laughs> than the the successes because it's that's where it's that's where it's at. Okay, so now uh, let's dedicate the the merit of this evening. So taking a moment uh, to acknowledge to recognize that we come to this practice oftentimes for ourselves and for our own well being, um, but it never ends up being just about ourself, that when we cultivate ourselves in this way, when we do it in a community like this, it has a ripple effect. We're putting something wholesome into the world. And that ripple effect uh, goes out to the people you interact with on a daily basis, the people you live with, work with, people in the community that you um, interact with, um, and then I think it ripples out even further beyond that in ways that um, we can't see or maybe even understand. And so it's in that spirit that we dedicate the merit of our practice here this evening and all that was cultivated um, to all beings everywhere. And to those who are on your minds and hearts right now. Not that one. Okay. <laughs> please, and this is so just one this evening, um, or there's two. Please do Meta for Miguel and Flora. Um, we're having immigration problems right now. So Miguel and Flora, are, we're holding them in our hearts this evening. And to all those who, um, maybe you didn't write them down, but you're thinking about them. May all beings find happiness and contentment in their lives. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.